Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Happy birthday, Collective. We are two years old. We made it <laughs> to two years. Uh, thank you so much for being here to celebrate with us today. Uh, just for a quick moment, can we do something? By a round of applause, how many of you were here last year for our first birthday? That's cool. All right, now by a round of applause, how many of you are celebrating a birthday with us for the first time? Cool. Awesome. It was 50-50 first service, so that makes me feel much better. It would have been really weird if like, no one clapped for one of the two of those. Um, I just want to say, whether you've been here since launch, or this is your first time here, or you showed up somewhere in between, we're just so thankful that you're here celebrating with us today. Um, You are a part of the story of this church, and on days like today, uh, we hold on to these memories for a really long time, so whether this is the second, third, fourth, tenth memory you've been a part of, or the first one, we're just thankful that you would give us your time on a Sunday morning. You know, anytime someone walks in through those double doors, it just lifts us up and, and it helps us know that what we're doing as a church and what we're trying to do in this community, it matters, um, and we're actually seeing God work. So thank you all so much for being here and celebrating with us. Last year, one of the things we did was we actually shared like 10 crazy things about Collective, and so I wanted to bring that back a little bit. I want to share three things with you all uh, that we've experienced since our launch as a church two years ago. And so here's the first one. Since the launch of this church, our team has pushed a combined 780,000 pounds of equipment in and out of the school over the 104 weeks that we've been doing this. It takes a little over 7,000 pounds a week to make this thing happen. And so we're we're, going to break a million pounds of pushing uh, during this year, which I think is exciting. We're trying to figure that out. Number two, since the launch of this church, we have collected over 32,000 pounds of food for local food pantries. Um, Thanks. 13,000 of that came this summer alone. Um, And what that says about you and this community in general is that you want to take care of people who have burdens, right? Food insecurity is a really big deal. Um, It's a really big deal in this school. And so this summer and for the two years we've been at church, we've been able to help feed kids and families who are hungry and help try to push them in the right direction. So thank you all for doing that. Uh, We hope in the next year we'll break 50,000 pounds total, not in a year. That'd be nuts. Uh, Number three, This is the most important one. Since the launch of Collective, we have been able to celebrate 59 people who have put their faith in Jesus and have been baptized. I know, like, for context, you're like, I think that's good. People are clapping. I'm going to clap too. Uh, On average, churches will have one person a year. And we've been lucky enough to celebrate just under 60 people in two years of what God is doing in their lives and in this community. Uh, But here's the thing. As we go into year three, I want to set a goal for our church. Now, privately, our staff sets goals, and we actually celebrate those, and we talk about them every week. But as a church, there's only been one other other time where I've actually shared one of those goals on a Sunday morning. Last year, I stood on stage and shared with our church that if we averaged over 200 people during the summer, we would add a second service. And so on August 12th, we announced it, and we've never been under 200 people since that date. On October 14th of last year, we added our second service for Collective. And what's crazy about that is 
just two weeks ago, uh, Collective had over 300 people, and we've had 300 people back-to-back, and we'll break that today as well. And God continues to grow this church, even in the summer, uh, when it's kind of unheard of. And so one of the things that we've, we've talked about is we've celebrated these 59 baptisms, but here's what I'd like to set a goal for the next year of this church. I would love to celebrate our 100th baptism by our third birthday. And so that's 41 people over 52 weeks, and it's a lot. But we believe in life change. We've, we believe in what God is doing here. We believe in you and the steps that you're wrestling with and the steps that you're kind of struggling to figure out do you need to take. We believe in you and your desire to see your friends come and experience what Jesus has to offer. And so that's our goal. And so that's our big goal for the next year. It's crazy. Uh, Anything about data would tell you it's not really going to happen or not really possible. But God has done some ridiculous things in this church in two years. And so we're excited to push and see what God will do in year three. And so I'm excited for today, and not just because it's a day to celebrate, but today actually kicks off an incredible few months for Collective. And this is a small glimpse. This fall, we're going to do a series at the end of October and in November called The Frederick That God Sees. And this series will forever impact the future of this church. There will be a ton of stories and surprises during that series, so you definitely won't want to miss on that. Uh, We're going to have opportunity this fall to take care of families in our community at Thanksgiving, Uh, more opportunities to feed kids here in the school and feed families who are struggling to have a Thanksgiving that many of us do have the opportunity to have. We're even planning on having three Christmas Eve services because Collective is growing, and last year we had over 500 people at Christmas, and so we're going to look at and see, can we do three services and maybe 600 people will show up. And all of this is crazy and awesome, and it all kicks off today with our first ever value series called We Are Collective. Now, before Collective ever started, I worked with a a company called Passion for Planting that did project management for church plants. And so they actually have this program, and it takes you through over 350 tasks that you need to complete before starting a church. Now, some of you, you hear the idea of like 350 tasks and crossing them off a list, and you feel very uncomfortable. Not me. I loved it. I'm a huge nerd, like crossing things off, checklists, spreadsheets. That's my jam. So for me, like in nine months before leading up to Collective, we had to do 350 things in order to hopefully start this church and start it off the right way. And one of the tasks was to write out our values. So before Collective started, I did my best to write out the six values that I wanted to lead by and I wanted our church to be known for. But I never shared them on a Sunday morning. This was because for two years, these were just kind of ideas. You know, these were hopes when we first wrote them. This was a dream that we thought, hopefully this church will look that way. And the cool thing is now it's a reality. So this summer, I went back, I tweaked them, and over the next six weeks, we're going to share what makes this place important and what makes us collective. And these core values are not just a collective thing. We believe that if you base your life on these six things, you will experience the life that Jesus wants you to have. And so today, we're going to kick off this series with the most important value, the value that is the basis for everything that we do. Now, if you've been to church before, or you have friends that follow Jesus, you've probably heard someone say that Jesus died on the cross for the sin of the world. And if you're like me when you first heard that, or you, know, you have wrestled with that or been to church, you're wondering, what does that mean? Like, what does that exactly mean? What does that mean to me? And so I'm going to walk through a story in the Bible about Jesus and his best friend, And this story is going to show us what that means and why it matters to us. Here's the setup for the story. 
When Jesus did his roughly three-year ministry, he had a group of men that were his inner circle. He had 12 guys that were like his closest. But inside of that, he actually had three guys that were his best friends. These are his boys. And the most outspoken of the three is a fisherman named Peter. Now, right before Jesus is arrested and sent to be executed, he actually looks at Peter and tells him, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. And of course, Peter's upset by this. Right? Peter looks at Jesus and says, I would never do that. Like, I gave up my life to follow you. You're, you're my best friend. Why would I betray you? But the story goes on. Jesus gets arrested. All of his followers run away because they are actually afraid that they will also be arrested and put on trial and eventually executed. And as Jesus is being taken to the high priest to, to go to trial, Peter actually follows him. He kind of follows him from a distance, watching what are they doing with Jesus? Where are they bringing him? And then this is what happens in Matthew 26. It says this, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. So he denied him once. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. He denied him twice. This time you can tell Peter's getting a little bit more aggressive with it. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And so he denied him three times. And this is the strongest denial of all. In fact, that phrase, a curse on me, is Peter saying, God can send me to hell if I know who Jesus is. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he went away weeping bitterly. So Jesus tried to warn him. Tried to let him know, like, this is going to happen. Now, there's something that makes this story even worse for Peter. And what we just read out of Matthew, Matthew actually leaves this out of the story. I think it's because he felt bad for Peter. But another one of Jesus' biographers named Luke puts in the detail that just as Peter was denying Jesus for a third time, Jesus walked right by him. He actually writes that Jesus made eye contact with him. So Jesus witnesses the third denial. He hears what Peter said. And I mean, it's one thing to say you don't know the person who's supposed to be your friend. And it's a completely another, another thing if that friend was like, hey, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me at some point, And then it happens. But it's a whole other level if they make eye contact with you while it's happening. How does a friendship survive that? So Peter said, I don't want anything to do with God. And Jesus saw it happen. He heard it. Can you imagine the shame that Peter felt in that moment? Right? You can just imagine the things that start running through his head. Jesus was right. I did deny him. I'm a terrible follower of Jesus. I'm not worthy to be his friend. I should have just stayed a fisherman. I'm no better than Judas who turned Jesus into the authorities. I'm not worthy. The story goes on from there. Jesus is put on trial. He's beaten. He's crucified, which means he's nailed to a cross. His disciples mourn his death. He's put into a tomb. But on the third day, he raised from the dead to prove that he is God and we can trust him. You see, the reason we believe Jesus is because he rose from the grave, not just because he taught good things. 
He taught great things. If you follow what he says, it will change your life. You'll see the impact in everything that you do, in every relationship that you have, everything. But we believe him because the power of what he taught comes from the fact that he died. He said, I'm going to come back. And he did. But here's the thing with Peter. As soon as the third betrayal happens, he is so overcome with grief that he weeps bitterly. And then he walks away from the life he lived for the past three years while he followed Jesus, and he goes back to fishing. He goes back to his old life, his old story. He goes back to what he knows. And while he's fishing, he actually gets word that Jesus is alive. And this is really important because Peter knows that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Peter knows that this confirms that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter knows that this means Jesus is the Messiah, the one that was sent to rescue God's people. But he keeps fishing because he knows deep down inside that Jesus saw him deny him. So Peter thinks, there's no way Jesus wants me anymore. I've burned that bridge. I've hurt my best friend. It's probably best if I just moved on and continued to fish. But here's what Jesus does. About a week or two after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he actually goes to the very lake where Peter is fishing. So he finds Peter. He meets Peter where Peter is. He calls Peter to shore. He makes him breakfast. Just a cool note. I don't know. Everything's better over breakfast. But then after breakfast, this is what happens. In John 21, after breakfast, Jesus asks Simon Peter. Now, Simon is Peter's given name. Peter's the name that Jesus gave him. So after breakfast, Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And this is what's happening. Three times Peter said, I don't know who that is. So Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? This story is called the restoration of Peter because it's Jesus going out of his way to let Peter know you're forgiven, you're welcome back, you're home. It's Jesus showing Peter grace again, and again, and again. And this is our core value, our first one. It's all about grace. It's endless second chances. And here's why I love this story. I need endless second chances. You need endless second chances. Because we mess up, we fall short, we sin, which means we walk out of alignment with what God wants for our life. Sometimes it's on accident. Most of the time it's on purpose. See, the reason I like to talk about grace is because I need it. And so we don't talk about grace just because of people who don't follow Jesus. And we don't talk about grace just because of first-time guests. And we don't talk about grace just because of people who followed Jesus for a long time and walked away. We talk about grace because it's for everyone. Because we all need it. In fact, let me tell you how I write sermons. I do my best to write sermons with everyone in mind. For Christians and non-Christians, for people who are doubting, for people who are hurting, for people who are hopeful. But I kind of just write sermons for me. And I know that sounds selfish, but hear me out. I'm a pretty basic guy. 
right? And not basic and like your basic pumpkin spice, Ugg boots, infinity scarves, okay? I could care less about Ugg boots and infinity scarves. I love pumpkin spice, okay? I don't care what you think about it. They came out in August. I was in line that day. It was 100 degrees outside. I ordered it hot. Judge me. It's so bad. My neighbor knows how much I love pumpkin spice. Two days ago, or last weekend, he came over, and he's like, hey, man, I found a 40-ounce container at Wegmans, which is a gift from God. He's like, here it is for you. And it was gone by Tuesday. So I'm basic, okay? But what I'm really saying is I'm a simple guy who needs simple things. So I want my life to get better, and I believe Jesus can do that, and so that's what I preach. I've never gotten to the point where I believe that I've arrived, so I just go and preach to other people, right? I need a church for broken people. I need a church that's for loving God and loving people. And once I get those perfect, I'll move on to other stuff, but until then, I'm just gonna go with this because I know me. And I'm not who I want to be. I let people down. I get in my own head. I often feel like I'm not enough and will never be enough. I go through these swings where I walk in confidence of knowing God, of knowing that I've been forgiven by God, of knowing that I've been blessed by God, knowing that I'm leading my family in this church in obedience to him. But other times I think I'm not getting better, that I'm not changing, that I'm the same old screw-up that I've always been. I dream of the person I want to become, and I realize that I'm just not really close to that. And so sometimes I think, why don't I just give up? And here's why I like today's story, because I'm just like Peter. Peter is the same disciple who proclaimed to Jesus, you are the son of God, and then said, I don't know who Jesus is. Peter's the one who walked on water, but then he sank. Peter has a mountaintop experience with God, and while he's up there, he actually asks God, can we just stay here and not care about anyone else? Peter starts the church, but then he actually stops other people who are different from him from being a part of it, and he has to be called out because of his prejudices. Over and over again, Peter does these amazingly great things, or he says these amazingly great things, but over and over again, he screws up. He lacks faith. He doesn't see the big picture. He doesn't trust Jesus. He gets his theology way off. And I don't know about you, but that sounds really familiar. Because for me, one day, I'm a child of God who's been forgiven by the Savior of the world. Things are going great, and I trust him with everything that I'm doing. And the next day, I doubt that God is even moving in my life, and I try to rely on myself instead of him. And so the reason why I love this story is because Jesus welcomes Peter back into a relationship with God. And the reason I need Jesus is because I need endless second chances. Jesus sought out Peter to say, you are forgiven, you are my friend, you are my leader, you're still going to make a difference. And some people think, and some Christians even think mistakenly, that when you come to Jesus, he makes you clean, and then he sends you off on your own. You're all by yourself, but that's not true. And some people think that Jesus offers grace, but not for that. Not for me, not for that sin, not for that addiction, not for that brokenness. But that's not true either. And some people even think Peter's denial should have negated him from being used by God. But Jesus offers grace. He offers endless second chances. A few weeks ago, a video was circulating online that came out in 2014. And it was an interview with the Alabama head football coach named Nick Saban. 
Now, I'm not an Alabama fan. Uh, I spent six years living in Tennessee, so I started watching SEC football, and I watch it every single Saturday, so I love SEC, uh, but not into Alabama. But the truth is, if you know anything about college football, you know that Nick Saban is a great coach. His players get drafted into the NFL more than any other team. Most of them somehow end up on the Redskins. Um, But he knows a thing or two about leadership. And in this video, he talked about giving one of his players a second chance. Check it out. You know, there's always a lot of criticism out there. When somebody does something wrong, everybody wants to know, how are you going to punish the guy? But there's not enough for 19- and 20-year-old kids people out there saying, why don't you give them another chance? All right, so I'm going to give a speech right now about this. Like, where do you want them to be? Guy makes a mistake. Where, where, where do you want them to be? Do you want them to be in the street? Or do you want them to be here graduating? You know, when I was over there at the Nagurski, Musin Muhammad, who played 15 years for the Carolina Panthers, played for me at Michigan State, Everybody in the school, every newspaper guy, everybody was killing a guy because he got in trouble and said there's no way he should be on our team. I didn't kick him off the team. I suspended him. I made him do stuff. He graduated from Michigan State. He played 15 years in the league. He's a president of a company now. And he has seven children, and his oldest daughter goes to Princeton. So who was right? I feel strong about this now, really strong, all right, about all the criticism out there of every guy that's 19 years old that makes a mistake and you all kill him. And then some people won't stand up for him. So my question to you is where do you want him to be? You want to condemn him to a life sentence? Or do you want the guy to have his children going to Princeton. You want to close on that? I also love how he ends that press conference. Do you want to close on that? I'm going to start finishing my sermons that way. (laughs) You can tell, he's getting worked up, right? The story that he talks about, uh, the guy he mentioned is Musin Muhammad. When Saban was a coach at Michigan State, Muhammad was one of the wide receivers that had gotten in trouble in 1993 when campus police discovered a gun in the glove compartment of his car. This actually was a violation of his probation from an earlier possession of drugs. And so Muhammad spent time in jail. Uh, he was judged by the public at large. Um, people urged him boosters. Other professors told him, told Saban, you've got to get him off the team. But Saban, who actually became the Spartans head coach in 1995, gave him a second chance. And the thing is, it would have been so much easier to cut him because it wasn't even one of his recruits. This wasn't even one of Saban's guys. This was somebody else's guys that brought him onto the team. Then Saban came and took the team over and said, I'm going to give him a second chance. You can tell. You see that video? You just see him getting worked up. right? He's preaching for a second there. But Saban, who is a devout follower of Jesus, showed him grace. John 1.14 says, Jesus came full of grace and truth. 2 Corinthians 12 says that Jesus' grace is enough. So he came to give you endless second chances. He came to give you grace. And that means there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And when you say yes to that, when you say yes to that life, when you accept that gift that he offers us, this is what happens. 
Romans 6 says this, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. When you put your faith in Jesus and accept those endless second chances, you are free. You are saved by grace. You progress in grace and you die in grace. It's all grace. It's never anything but grace. Grace will get you through your grief. Grace is what will make your marriage better. Grace is how you'll get through the school year. Grace will help you deal with your depression in a healthy way. Grace is how you'll get free from your addiction. And grace is the only chance you get to have a relationship with God. And that's why I love being part of this church. Because I want to help others experience endless second chances. One of my favorite books is called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. I've mentioned it a few times. Now, I make my staff read this book. In fact, I make most of our leaders read this book because I love the way Yancey talks about grace. And he talked about it in a way that I like, could feel it in my soul. He, and he explains it in a way that doesn't cheapen it, and it creates so much more depth. But a couple years ago, Yancey wrote a book called Vanishing Grace, which is about the lack of grace that exists in the world today. And reading this book, it's so different than the first one. His tone is frustrated. He's almost pleading with Christians to dispense grace to others. He laments the lack of grace in Christians and the church. And the truth is, a lot of us would say we totally know where he's coming from. But I also beg to differ. And my evidence is the people who attend this church. Because here's who attends collective. There are multiple people here who are struggling with addiction. And their addictions have hurt themselves and their families, but they're fighting for freedom from their vices. And one of the ways they do that is by serving here and attending here regularly because they need grace. I pastor a guy. He came to Collective for a long time. He worked to clean up his life. He got baptized here. But then he got in trouble again, and he's in jail awaiting trial. As we sat talking in an 8 by 8 concrete room, I could hear the shame in his voice as he talked through all the mistakes he had made. But I told him that as soon as he gets out, this is his home. This is where he needs to be because of grace. There are people who struggle with depression. And every time I see them begin to withdraw, I remind them that this is where they need to be. And so this is where they are trying to figure things out because of grace. There's someone who goes to this church and they told me that they're still alive because of this place. That's grace. Someone who goes to this church has battled shame and addiction for a long time, and he just celebrated one year of sobriety. That's grace. There are people here who refuse to give up on their marriages, even though it's harder to fight for healing. That's grace. And there are people here who have been burned by the church and have avoided God for a really long time, but are cautiously pursuing faith because of grace. There are people here who doubt, who hurt, who struggle, who need grace. And I love these people. They are screw-ups. They are outcasts. They are broken. They keep messing up. They're just like their pastor. These are my people. Sometimes it seems like we take two steps forward and three steps back, but at the end of the day, the reason we get together, the reason why we do this, the reason why we celebrate when we make it to year two is because of grace. And so we'll call it endless second chances because the truth is we never outgrow our need for it. And grace is hard, it's so much harder because no matter how much you appreciate it, it's in direct proportion to how much you're screwed up. 
Now, I'm not a great pastor. My wisdom is limited. I've never written a New York Times bestseller. I don't speak at conferences. I don't even own a tie. That's not true. I own a tie. Some of you have always wondered that. I have like two. I don't know. I can tie it as well, okay? You'll never see me wear it on a Sunday morning, though. You know, I wish I remembered more names. I wish I had better control of my schedule so I could pastor more people one-on-one. There are things that I wish our church did better. I wish more people read their Bible every day. I wish we prayed more and that more people that go to this church were involved in serving and making an impact. But one thing that I know our church gets right is grace. No matter who you are, where you've come from, however old, whatever religious background, however many people you slept with, whatever number of divorce you're on, whatever your diagnosis or your secret or your addiction, whatever's been done to you, no matter how many times you've known the right thing to do but still chosen to to do the opposite, collective is a place in the words of Philip Yancey where grace is kept on tap and the bar is always open. And while I agree with Philip Yancey that grace is vanishing in the church and in Christians, this church gives me hope. And if I ever have the opportunity to meet Yancey, I would tell him not to give up because this church and collective is the reason why I believe that grace is real and can be given to as many people as we meet. One time, Jesus was hanging out with people like you and me. And the self-righteous people who pretend like they have it all figured out asked Jesus, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. He said, I haven't come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. That word repent means to change how you think and how you act. And the action paired with repentance in the Bible is baptism, right? It's when someone is immersed in water. It represents the death of their old self, the death of their sin, the death of the junk that they have in their life and the raising up of their new lives in grace. And as I mentioned earlier, we've seen 59 people do that in two years And when they got baptized, they said, Jesus is my savior. That means he's the one that we're relying on to give grace because we can no longer rely on ourselves. He saves us because we can't save ourselves. We say that Jesus is my Lord. And that means Jesus is gonna lead in everything, every day, in every situation for the rest of my life, whether I understand it or not. And we've been able to celebrate that a lot. But we wanna celebrate that even more in the next few years. Because that means people are saying yes to endless second chances. It means that we, as a church, are showing people that endless second chances are real. So do you want your life to be condemned to a life defined by your mistakes, defined by sin, defined by brokenness, defined by addiction, defined by shame? Do you want grace? Because Jesus says, I want to give you a second chance and another second chance and another second chance. And all he's asking us to do is trust him, put our faith in him, follow him, give our lives to him so that we can experience the greatest gift that's ever been given and can only be given by him. Endless second chances are real, and Jesus is offering them to every single one of us every single day. So let's be the church where grace is kept on tap and the bar is always open. Let's pray. God, um, we're broken. God, we feel it every day. 
God, we, we feel it when we wake up. Uh, people tell it to us all the time. God, we have pain in our life and sin in our life and shame in our life, and sometimes we cannot figure out what to do with it because we're trying to figure it out on our own. But God, you offer us grace. You offer us endless second chances in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships with you. God, we're just so thankful for that. God, we're thankful that you went to find Peter. God, we know you were hurt by the betrayal. God, we know you felt it. But God, instead of waiting for Peter to come to his senses or waiting for Peter to work through his own shame, God, you went to him and offered him grace. God, I pray for anybody here that feels like they're in that same place of life as Peter, where they're going back to their old story, they're going back to their old self, they're walking away from you. God, I pray that they know that you're there, that you're searching for them. God, that you want to give them another second chance. God, I pray today as we celebrate our second birthday, God, hopefully many more. God, I pray when people think about this church, when people invite people to this church, when people bring people to this church, or even when people show up for the first time, the thing that they notice that is different than anything else is the fact that this church is full of grace. God, that this church is full of endless second chances because that's what you offer us if that's what we want to give to the world. God, we thank you for that. We love you for that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.